Welcome to the 21st Century Church podcast. Please check out our website at 21stcenturychurch.co.uk for more information. We'd love to connect with you, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Enjoy this message from our senior pastor, Stefan Jones. Well, it's great to be here. This is the best day of the year for Christians. This is the day when we should be celebrating like we've won the World Cup. This is the day when we should be going all out because this is a day of victory for us. And the truth is, we all love to win, right? We can all relate to this. I know I definitely love to win. Now, confession is good for the soul. I think I, I love to win too much, okay? I find it hard to restrain myself. I'm not always the best winner. You know, some of uh, Miles' family were over recently, and we played a game called Resistance. And our team, the spies, we'd managed to fool people. And we won. And when we finally won, I actually leapt out of my chair, and I shouted yes. And then I felt like I'd somewhat overreacted in front of Miles' family and felt a little bit silly. But we all know that feeling, right? That feeling of elation at victory. We love that feeling. You know, when we watch sport, we get to know this feeling, whether we competed ourselves or whether actually we were just watching our team. We were kind of having that feeling vicariously. You know, take Wales rugby games, okay? You know, when it's a a big game, if you're a Welsh supporter, right? When it's a big game, or let's be honest, if it's any game against England, we can't help but get excited if we win. You know, possibly the best was when Wales knocked England out of their own World Cup in their group stages. I mean, and the guys I was watching it with, we were just watching it in someone's house. And at the end of it, we went crazy. We were jumping up and down. We were shouting the level of joy. But this is the thing. We didn't do anything for that victory. But the team represented us. And so it was our victory. And that's how this day works. See, if you're in Christ, you didn't do anything for the victory. But if he represents you, if he is your king, your captain, your Lord, his victory is your victory. Do you see how that works? His victory is now our victory. So today we celebrate the win. You know, at Christmas, we kind of look at the amazing thing that God became human, became a baby, was willing to be vulnerable like that. It's an incredible thing. And then a Good Friday, we were just considering, you know, the suffering Jesus. And it's kind of got a somber mood to it. But today is Resurrection Sunday. This is all about the victorious, risen Jesus. So I hope you're ready for a victory lap this morning. So let me pray, and then we're going to get into this. Lord, I thank you so much for Easter Sunday. I thank you for the victory that was found on this day when you rose again. And I thank you that that victory has now been given to us too. Help us, I pray, to hear what you would have us say to live in that sense of victory. And we thank you and we praise you this morning. And we said together, amen. I would question to you and pose the question that you should want the resurrection to be true. Everybody should want the resurrection to be true. Who doesn't want to know that death has been 
conquered. The implications are so massive. I don't know if you, maybe you would have seen it, but in the, the, the cover story of The Spectator this week, you kind of had the Notre Dame kind of cross, and historian Tom Holland, who was an agnostic, he wrote an article where he said, even for atheists and agnostics, the risen Christ cannot be eluded simply by refusing to believe in him. The subheading of the article was, without Christ, we would not have Western values. The history of our civilization makes no sense without the risen Jesus in it. The world we live in has been shaped by the risen Jesus. He is the one who holds the keys to the questions and the answers of life. He holds the keys. So to try and grasp something of that, we're going to look at the book of Revelation this morning. And the book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It's kind of a mishmash of genres. So it's kind of like, it's part letter, part prophecy, part apocalyptic craziness. But actually, it's a fitting blockbuster climax to the Bible and the story of it. So we're going to look at Revelation 1, verses 12 to 18, where John has a vision of the risen Christ. And what it is that the risen Christ has to say to John. Now, before I read it, I'm going to read from Ian Paul, who's the author of the Tyndale commentary on it. And he notes this isn't a literal description of a vision of a human person, right? Just so we get there. This is a composite, symbolic picture telling us key theological truths about the person of Jesus, okay? So what I'm going to read is not literal. It's a kind of composite of metaphors and symbols telling us something about who the risen Jesus is, what he's done. So we're going to read that through. Are you ready for it this morning? Okay, it's going to be good. Right, here we go. Revelation 1. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze going in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And I want to lean in here, these next two verses I want to focus on. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. My title for this morning and my one key thought that I want you to go away with is this. He's got the keys. He's got the keys. Say it after me. He's got the keys. He's got the keys. The scripture is telling us the keys to life, death, Hades itself, there is only one person who has the keys. There is no other religion. There is no other worldview. It's not secular culture. It's only Jesus has the keys to death and Hades. And that's something that we need to get excited about this morning. And I'm going to break it down three ways, okay? Because firstly, he's got the keys. What does that mean? And he's got them by right. Secondly, he's got the keys and he's got them for good. And thirdly, he's got the keys and he's planning on using them. 
Firstly, he's got the keys and he's got them by right. Now, this whole passage is drenched in Old Testament kind of illusions, okay? That's what's going on here. The seven golden lampstands that represent the church. The Son of Man is Jesus' phrase for himself. It comes from Daniel. The robe is out of a high priest. The white hair is like Daniel's vision of God. You've got the voice of rushing waters from Ezekiel. The sun kind of thing of he looks as brilliant as the sun. It should remind us of Moses, his vision of God. We've also got the phrase, I'm the first and the last. It's from Isaiah 44. But God says, I'm the first and the last. Apart from me, there's no God. But there's more going on here as well. Because some of these images are not from the Old Testament. They're from a Greco-Roman pagan worldview. So one of the things he sees in the vision is Jesus carrying seven stars in his right hand. In their worldview, what they believed was that the seven stars represented the planets, and the planets determined your destiny, a bit like horoscopes. And John is saying, it's not the planets that determine your destiny. Jesus determines your destiny. He is the one who holds it. But the thing I want to focus on more here is the image of the keys of death and Hades. Now, Hades is sometimes translated as hell, but it's not really hell in the biblical terms. It's a bit different. Hades was a generic Greek term for the underworld. In the Old Testament, the word was Sheol. It was where you went when you died. And then in Old Testament terms, it was a bit of a holding place until final judgment in the Sheol kind of thing. But in Greek mythology, there was a magical cult of a Greek goddess named Hecat. And she was the goddess of death and the underworld. And she was the one who guarded the entrance to Hades. And she was often pictured with keys. In the Greek viewpoint, there was a goddess who was the one who controlled the keys, who controlled the doorway to death. But John is saying... No, there is only one person who holds the keys of death and Hades, and his name is Jesus. Only the risen Jesus has the keys. And see, there's a big emphasis in this book on the victory of what Jesus has done, much more than the rest of the Bible. I think sometimes we can emphasize a lot more on, you know, he paid for our sin on the cross, which is all true, and it's a bit of an individual thing. But actually, in Revelation, they're trying to, it's trying to show us, John, is that this victory wasn't just for me and you. It was for the whole world. And Jesus is now victor. He is the triumphant one. Revelation 12 puts it like this. Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. The image there is of the victorious Christ in the power of God throwing the enemy down. It's a very different image maybe than what we're used to thinking. Now, I went to the National Gallery not too long ago and I'm not a very artistic person, I'm going to be honest. I could barely use handwriting with my own hand. I blame the teachers of Esco Dewi Sant if you want to know who they are. But, uh, but I can't really write very well. I can't draw very well. It's not one of my things. But I like looking at art, okay? So I don't know what's going on. So me and my wife, who we were going around the National Gallery. You should go there if you've never been there in London. It's free and seeing these amazing paintings. And some of them are really old. And there was one painting we were looking at. And it was from Renaissance Italy. It was in its own original frame with millions of pounds. And we're looking at it, and I can hear my wife saying, oh, isn't this a lovely picture? Look at the frame. This frame is lovely. And I thought I could just hear a sound. And I turned around, and my wife was stroking the frame and feeling it. 
At this point, I went white <laughs> and pulled her away and said, you're not meant to touch the paintings in the National Gallery. She's from Portugal, right? She doesn't know these things. I don't know what it is. But I pulled her away, took her back to Hernando's. We're safe there. But, uh, <laughs> but the truth was, I got a real scare at that moment. Thinking, you can't touch the paintings. But actually, paintings and drawings can tell us a lot. And there's a lot, if you've ever gone to the National Gallery, a lot of the paintings are about Jesus. A lot. A lot, for some reason, are about the baby Jesus. They really like the baby Jesus and Mary. But lots of actually older Christian art reminds us of this theme of Christ as victor. I've got one to throw up here. This is a really old one. You can see that. I don't think this is 5th, 6th century. But Jesus is there being portrayed like a soldier who's triumphant. And if you notice, he's standing with a serpent under one foot and a beast under the other. It's the portrayal of conqueror Jesus. Now, the next one, right? This is like, gee, this is like awesomeness overload, okay? This, this is Jesus, you know, picture on steroids. Can we have the next one up? This is the Christus Victor one. Look at the abs on Jesus there, you know? That is, that is victorious Jesus who has stamped on the devil, put the cross on him or whatever. So those are kind of the older ways maybe of thinking about it. But actually, I think they've got something to tell us that maybe we've forgotten that actually the emphasis here on Christ as the victor, that he's the victor, that he's not just a baby, he's not just suffering, he is the victor. And they make a point, there's a mystery here, and uh, I can come off, but that's going on actually in the Bible. 2 Timothy 2, Paul's heart for someone, and he's giving advice to Timothy about a problem person, is that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul is saying this, there are such a thing as two kingdoms and whatever the devil looks like or is, there is such a thing as the kingdom of darkness, there is such a thing as evil and the kingdom of God and the two kingdoms are at war and there is no neutral ground, you're either in one or you're in the other. This is how Paul puts it in Colossians 1, what the whole gospel message is. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, once the keys of death and Hades did belong to the enemy by right. In some mysterious way, when we rebelled against God, we give authority to ourselves. We entered into the dominion of darkness. And the Bible is clear on this. In 1 John 3 verse 8, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to tell us nice things. No. The reason the Son of God appeared was to die for our sins. I mean, that would be true, yes. But here he's emphasizing the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Gospel of John, Jesus himself speaks. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. Jesus is saying clearly, I have come to evict the kingdom of darkness. I have come to evict the ruler of the world. I have come to take his authority and cast him out. This is a war. And at Easter, Jesus won the victory and he took the keys of death and Hades and he took them by right. 
They belong to him. See, the ultimate weapon of the enemy, the darkest weapon is that of death. And in paying our sin, Jesus, our champion, allowed himself to take on the full weight of darkness, sin, evil, and death. But this was one person where death bit off more than it could chew. <laughs> because it tried to take someone down whom it could not hold. The Welsh hymn puts it like this. Mighty went on Calvary dying. But Jesus, mighty, death itself, he breaks. He breaks it. See his might, infinite, king of heaven and earth by right. See, our ancestors, they knew their Bible. <laughs> when they wrote the hymns, they knew their Bible. You know, the Apostles' Creed, it says how he descended into Hades or hell or death, whatever you want to use for that phrase. Uh, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. See, when Jesus died, in some way, however you picture that, he descended into death, into darkness, into Hades. But this is the one person that Hades could not keep down. Because as the risen Jesus tells John, I am the living one. Death cannot hold me. See, he is the one who destroys the work of the devil, kicks down the gates of Hades, takes the keys, takes the captives free. See, once he was dead, but now he's alive forever and ever, for he is a living one. He has the keys, he has the authority, he has the right, he has the victory. It belongs to him and him alone. Now think what else this also tells us. Imagine you're John in this vision. So you've had this vision and this terrifying being addresses you. And it's almost like you're on the floor because you can't handle it. And you look up and he says, do not be afraid, which by the way is the most common command in the Bible. And what Jesus actually says in the resurrection, the angels, sorry, say to the women, do not be afraid. So this person is glorious, says, do not be afraid. Then he kind of puts his right hand on you, which is kind of scary. Do you think at that point, as you look up and you see the keys in his hand, do you think you think, oh, do you reckon I could take the keys? <laughs> Reckon I could take him? See, this Jesus, this victorious Jesus, he's got the keys and he's got them for good. <laughs> Nobody is taking them off him. That's not the way it's going to work. It says, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. See, the problem when Wales beats England is this. There's always next year, isn't there? <laughs> The problem with winning the Six Nations, which has been brilliant, is, yes, we'll cut the other one. If we get knocked out in the group stages, it wasn't a glorious 2019 for Wales, was it? That's a bit of a problem. The problem with doing well in your GCSEs is, and everyone says, die down, well done. I've got to do my A-levels, I've got to do it again now. The problem with beating your housemates in Halo 20 times in a row is number 21 is coming, okay? This is a problem for us. It's hard to rest in victory. If anything, it just piles on the pressure for next time. But it's not the same here. There is no rematch. There is no round two. He has conquered and he has conquered for good. And we can rest in that victory. This is how Romans 6 puts it. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Now again, his victory is our victory. Death no longer has dominion over us. Yes, like Jesus, if, before he comes again, we will have to physically die once. But death has been transformed to, as the Bible speaks of it now, as falling asleep until we await for the glorious resurrection. That as he was arisen, we will 
rise as well. I was actually reading recently through sermons from Daniel Rowlands, the 18th century Welsh revivalist preacher, and he actually inspired my line of thinking uh, when it comes to this message. And he's probably the greatest preacher Wales has ever had. It's between him and Highland Davis. It's a bit of a toss-up which one is the best one. But here's how he describes the work of the risen Jesus. And I'm going to read it in the language of heaven first, and then we'll, we'll translate with the language from the other place next. No, joking, joking. That was, a, that was a joke. I'm half English. You can't tell me I'm being mean. Okay, here we go. Yesi a cadarn, a god of the a cagariod birthifern amarwoleth, a gavea scanother nave, a meshrach cascon of the amagasir crave, but en yachau doriath ni, and shau a cadarn. Am honey, my he and the ogel. Foy I do gashan, oil wave. Jesus, the strong, is the one who rose from death, who carried the gates of death and hell, who ascended to heaven. Further, we can gain a strong comfort from here. That our salvation is in the hands of the strong one or the mighty one. And because of that, it is safe. Who could steal it out of his hands? Nobody can steal your salvation because it belongs in the hands of the risen Jesus, and nobody can take him. <laughs> and what a comfort we can gain here, that he is the one who has the keys. Tom Wright, in his commentary, likens the passage to someone whispering to us, they know the secret way of the dungeon to which you've been imprisoned. And he says, I've got the keys. I've got the keys of death and Hades. I have them right here. There's nothing more you need to worry about. That's why the risen Jesus tells John, don't be afraid. I've got the keys. I've got the keys of death and Hades. I command your destiny. Here's a comfort for us that the authority over death and hell is in the hands of Jesus. Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. See, he's got the keys and he's got them by right. He's got the keys and he's got them for good. But the third and best one is, and the other keys can come up if they want as well, is that this, he's got the keys and he's planning on using them. <laughs> he's planning on using them. Jesus noted an illustration in Mark 3. No one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Now imagine someone stolen the keys to your house. I don't know how this would have happened. And you've got to confront them and you know somehow I've got to get the keys back so I can get in my house. So whether you, you know, how you do that, whether it's a, a legal victory or whether it's a cage match, whatever it is. But somehow, imagine you get the keys back to your house. At this moment, you're going to be pretty happy. I've got the keys back. I can now go back there. Do you just go back and just check the door and go, oh, there we are. That's nice. I've got the keys and walk off. You wouldn't do that. Now that you've got the keys, you're going to say, well, I'm going to go back into my house, I'm going to open the door, and I'm going to get my stuff back. In the same way, Jesus didn't just have the keys for a theoretical victory. To just, it's nice to have the keys to death and hell. Jesus had the keys to use it. He wanted to use it. This is how Jesus began his ministry. We read, he went to the synagogue and he made a proclamation. The spirit of the Lord is on me. 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And note this, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And through his whole ministry, that's what he does. He sets people free. He meets with outsiders. He heals the blind. He heals outcasts. He delivers people from demons. He sees the dead raised. This is what Jesus does. And after the victory on the cross, after he wins back the keys of death and hell, he gets to work in using them. Again, when you look at the history of Christian art, we see this depiction again. You know, there was one that struck me. It was from the Greek kind of Orthodox one. I think it should be coming up. No, next one, no, next one. There was another one. There we go. You can see here, this is again just art. It's a symbolic way of speaking about it, but the two humans there represent Adam and Eve. You've got the cross. You've got the risen Jesus. He's already used the key. It's on the floor for some reason. And then you've got an old man bound representing the enemy. If you go back to the other one, I mean, I kind of like this one. Jesus just breaks down the door. There's someone lying underneath the door. We will forgive the artist for putting the English flag on Jesus' shoulder, but I don't know about that. <laughs> Go to the next one. And again, we've got back to, you know, abs galore here, as, <laughs> as you've got conquering Jesus, breaking people out, and whatever your theology is on, you know, what Jesus did on the Saturday, whether it's literal or metaphoric, they make the point. Jesus is the one on a rescue mission. He's on a rescue mission to destroy the kingdom of darkness and rescue every single person out and bring them into the kingdom of God. And he's got a no one left behind mentality. He's got the keys of death and Hades and he's going to use them. He stormed death itself, kicked down the door, set the captives free, took back what was rightfully his in the first place. Us. We belong to God first and foremost. So even though we were the ones who ran away, he launched the rescue mission to redeem us. And this is where we have a part to play. See, we can take confidence here. This is what Jesus says to Peter after he declares Jesus to be the Messiah. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, again, it's the word Hades, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And not the next line, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now there's a big debate on exactly what that means, but the broad brush strokes is this. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Because the image here is not of the church being attacked by a gate, okay? The image is of the church with a battering ram attacking into the gates. We are the ones on the offensive, not the defensive, storming the kingdom of darkness. And actually, we don't need to battle the door in because our king and commander, he's got the keys to the front gate. So he can open the gate, kick it in, bring everybody out. See, he is on a mission to see everybody saved, see the kingdom of darkness conquered. And the kingdom of God established upon the earth. And more than that, he also says, by the way, I'll also give you the keys to the kingdom of God as well, because this is your home. This is where you belong. And I give you my authority. See, it's not VE day yet, but final victory is assured. God's heart is that none should perish that all should come to repentance, that all should be rescued, that all should be brought into the kingdom of God. And as Christians, we have been set free, but now our mission is to be on this freedom mission to help others be set free. 
There is no excuse for someone becoming a Christian and being lazy and doing nothing and just sitting around, just chilling until Jesus comes back. If we've been set free, let's not stop until everyone's set free. As the Welsh hymnist said again, ride wreath. We must see everybody free. And until that day comes, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop advancing. And we have the authority because we do it in the name of Jesus, who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is the first and the last, who is the Lion and the Lamb. His is the name above every other name. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We do it in his name. There is a power in the name of Jesus because of Easter Sunday, because of this day. And the day is coming when it will all truly be over and he will heal everything all hurts, all sickness, all pain, or the end of all suffering. And on that day, we will arise with glorified risen bodies. Death will have lost its final vestiges of grip on us. But until that day, church, let's live in this victory. The devil can't stop you living in victory, but he can stop you believing it and living in it. Live in the truth of the victory. We are a Easter Sunday people. We live in this. We are a Resurrection Sunday people. So I've got two applications for you as I draw a close here. First one is this. Live in this confidence and in this authority. There is no need to be worried anymore. Do not be afraid is the command of the risen Jesus to you this morning. Do not be afraid of death. Do not be afraid of the enemy. Do not be afraid of whatever circumstances coming against you. I am with you. And if I am with you, who can stand against you? You walk in my authority, in my victory. And the second thing is this, get involved in this mission of freedom. We have been entrusted with the message that brings freedom. We have been entrusted with the proclamation that helps set captives free. We have been given his authority. We have been given keys. So what I want you to do is, at this moment, the horse team are going to come around and we've really confused the key shops of Trinity because we've ordered multiple blank keys. <laughs> so they don't do anything. But I want you to take a key. Take one key and whatever you do with it, I want you to keep this as a representation to you that whatever happens, your Lord and King, he is the one who holds the keys to death and Hades. He is the one with the authority over it. And if you want a second thing to attach to it, second thought is, and you also have the key to the kingdom of heaven. You have the key to the front door of the house. You are welcome home. Yeah, that's something worth thanking God for this morning. Imagine if we lived in this victory. Imagine what we'd see. Imagine the confidence we would have. Imagine the things we would attempt. Imagine the boldness we would have. We wouldn't just be playing small we would be living big lives we would be living expectant see he's got the keys and because of that we are victorious thanks for listening to this message from 21st century church if you've enjoyed this podcast we'd appreciate it if you could review and share it on social media remember to check us out at 21stcenturychurch.co.uk for any more information we'll see you next time